What's up, ladies and gents? Welcome to the Elk Hunt Podcast. I'm your host, Cody Rich. And if you're new here, this podcast feed is a place for all of the elk hunting interviews that I've done over the last six or seven years. Some are Wapiti Wednesdays, some are from my original podcast. But I wanted to compile the largest collection of elk hunting knowledge and interviews ever put together, which is pretty cool. And I would love your guys' help getting it out there to the world. So if you could do me a huge favor, uh, this is a new feed. So go leave it a five-star review and maybe tell a friend about it. But thank you so much for tuning in and I hope you guys enjoy this elk hunting podcast. Welcome to Wapiti Wednesday, Mr. Yaden. How are we doing, buddy? No, I'm doing good. I'm stoked to catch up with you a little bit. I've, I've just been like not texting you or anything about how things are going and... <laughs> And I'm, I, I don't know what's going on in your life or anything, so this will be fun. It would be good to catch up. You know, we don't have a problem catching up when we're sitting across from each other like every day. So now that like you're not in my office all the time, uh, I feel like – and I just told you that like, hey, if this doesn't go an hour, it's fine. And, I, and then I thought about that for half a second. I was like, oh. That's, that's not going to be a problem. We've so never gonna, had an issue with that. <laughs> uh, so we're going we're gonna to dive into it. Uh, I really want to cover – the thing I want to cover is five tips for mid to late rut. Um, there's some things that change. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about my New Mexico trip with one of the Patreons, uh, with the Patreon. Uh, we're going to talk about all the questions that you have. You've been deer hunting a lot, elk hunting a little, which, you know, you have the year of the deer, so I'll give you a little bit of a break there. Um, but I'm sure you got questions and things like that. There was definitely, like, big learning points from hunting New Mexico uh, I learned a ton down there, uh, all these things. So we're going to dive into that and hopefully get to the five tips for mid to late archery or late, uh, rut. Uh, so from that, welcome to the podcast, Jaden. You ever been on a podcast before? This is my first time. Hopefully I sound okay. <laughs> yeah. Figures. Um, yeah. So I guess to catch up on the New Mexico thing, um, Jeff and I went to New Mexico, really, really short hunt and it was about as brutal as it gets guys. Like, 90 degrees full moon and man i people have asked me the moon phase thing and i don't think about it because i hunt the entirety of september so it doesn't really matter you're gonna go anyway right yeah i'm gonna go anyway and that was like the dates that worked like ideally it would have been a longer hunt ideally you know there's a lot of things and if new mexico was my only tag there'd be a different story um but you know, we went for first few days and it was 90 degrees, full moon, not much talking. I, I think that's kind of the story across the West right now is like brutal, brutal hunting. There's some guys killing some stuff. Uh, I know it snowed in Montana and Wyoming. So it's, it was interesting uh, to say the least. We did find a shooter bowl day before, say two days before season, hiked into some stuff and uh, you know, Jeff, we him and I talked about it. We were like he he wanted to kill big bulls. Like I want to learn how to hunt big bulls, and I was like, cool. The downside to hunting big bulls is like you have to be patient, and sometimes that burns too much time. And I think that's like something to to think about. You know, like we we found a shooter bull, and he was close to a tank, and we basically said, okay, we don't want to bump him in the morning. We don't want to screw him up. He doesn't know we're here. Like let's try to find other elk or try to glass him up in the morning. But at the end of the day, like the worst thing you could do is let him know you're there when you're trying to set a tank in the evening. So we spent three days trying to hunt that bull, uh, found another elk or a group of elk, 
haunted them for a little bit, but it was just tough, tough uh, situation. You know, you're sitting on, in the shade 90% of the day trying to stay out of the sun. You know, we get 20 minutes in the morning to go bugle, and we never even heard a bugle in the morning. Um, and then you'd go sit the tank, you know, from like 2 or 3 in the afternoon until the evening. It was just – it was brutal. It was a tough hunt, man. Did How did you guys – and this is something that I'm sure I'm going to talk about on Amelia Monday, but how did you guys decide to spend three days trying to hunt that one bull? And why didn't you spend the whole time trying to hunt the bull? Well, that's a good question. So I, I mean, I was going into it like, okay, if we, if we can get in there and sit this tank, like we should get him go within three or four days. But at the end of the day, you know, we don't have a lot of time. And so you don't want to just waste all of it. Right. Um, and so we sat the tank and by day three, it was evident that this bull is either using the tank at night or not, or he's got water somewhere else. I still think maybe he had water. So I, I don't know. Either that or he's half camel or the whole herd's out half camel and they don't freaking drink. Um, <laughs> we, ne- we never saw an elk use a tank in the daylight. We sat tanks every day. Uh, so it was, it was like one of those things like, okay, yeah, we could keep on this bull, but like, I think it, you know, Jeff wanted to kill a big bull, but I think at the end of the day, he understood that like it probably wasn't worth going home empty-handed um, or not experiencing some bugling, not experiencing all the pieces of it. So, you know, and this is the thing. I think a lot of people are like, yeah, we want to kill a big bull, but if killing a big bull involves sitting a tank and not doing anything the whole day for 15 days straight, yeah, then they're like, oh, maybe not. <laughs> you know, like that's that's what it takes though. It takes days, man. Well, it's, it's funny you mentioned that and it actually makes me feel a ton better about what I ended up doing on my deer hunt because I was sitting there, I sat six days. Um, well, I guess I, I included the first evening that I watched this spot and the last morning was six calendar days in this area looking for my buck. Uh, I saw him one morning of those six days yeah. and that was the day before season and a snowstorm rolled through, right? I bailed on the spot just like you guys did because I was like, I just want to go look around and find other critters. Like this is not that fun for me anymore. (laughs) So (laughs) that makes me feel better that you guys kind of did something similar too. Cause it's like, yeah, could I probably turn this deer up in the 10 days I have here? Uh, sure. But it's just not fun. So do you think there was, that was the biggest part of it is like balancing the fun factor versus the goal? I mean a little bit. Yes and no. Uh, so we, packed in drinking out of tanks is the only water in this area. And, uh, we chewed through three to four different filters in a matter of three days. Oh, that's gross. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't poop my pants. (laughs) (laughs) That's the upside. Um, Kelsey's like, how are you not crapping your brains? I was like, why do you think we went through four filters? Um, so we burned through four filters and then we hiked down, uh, packed in four and a half gallons to like sit it out. But then, dude, burned a boatload of water coming in. Um, mm-hmm. and But it became a water. It was like I could – it felt like a mealier because it became a water issue of like, mm-hmm. okay, I only get 50 ounces per day. And then I'm over it. I felt like I was thirsty perpetually for days. Um, mm-hmm. And we ended up chasing – finding another herd. We chased those a little bit. Uh, and then, you know, I could tell. I could see morale was dipping. And I was like, my – I would have probably – stuck it out and stayed up there there was actually we cut another track that came into that area that i was very very interested in finding like and if it was me holding the tag i probably would have canceled every other hunt just to find this track and spent the next 15 days looking for this track 
but that's the difference, right? Like there's a difference between like you want to be 301, that's 301. Cut one track, spend the next 25 days looking for it. Uh, versus the 201 is like, hey, go find more opportunities. Mm-hmm. And I, I could tell morale was low. So we're like, okay, let's just, let's go find more more opportunities. Went to a second area, lots of screaming bulls. Uh, he actually ended up passing a bull at 10 yards in there. Uh, a satellite bull we called in, passed the bull at 10 yards. And I was like, and he was like, ah, I don't know. I hope I don't regret that. And I was like, dude, it, it is what it is. But he's like, that was so cool. You know, we got to, you know, the bull was right there. It was, it was a cool experience. And then I think. How big of a satellite bull was it? I think high 260s. Like just Oh, so he's like six. a six point? Yeah. Oh, yeah, a six point for sure. It was a decent six point. Um, but, you know, it's just a six point. Um, and I think, you know, we talked about it afterwards. And I think reality of it is like he was stoked that he did pass it because we got to get into a bunch of beagling bulls. We did see some bigger bulls in this new area. Uh, so we worked this other area. And we had a couple really, really close calls. There was one day I thought it was going to come together. Uh, we went out bugling one night and found – every time I bugled, bulls were answering. Saw like a really nice 350 bull. Uh, he just was kind of cruising across this open country, and he looked at us and kept going. Uh, we found a bull right at dark, threw sleeping bags on the ground, slept on this bull. We, you know, all night there's four bulls just going bananas 500 yards away. And I was like, I was telling him, I was like, this is like what, this is what September's about. I love it. You know, and it was so cool. And then uh, like an hour before daylight, I wake up and I can't hear that bull. And I just hear a faint bugle like over two ridges over. And I'm like, crap, you know, he's moving. Uh, they're moving. And so we followed those elk, I don't know, a mile and a half probably. And they get up on top of this knob and they're right there, slip in. I can see cows and I, he's bugling right on the other side of them. Cows feed right to left. I, we slip in without saying a word, slip between him and the cows and he's still in the meadow bugling. And I see him at, I don't know, 125 yards somewhere in there. And like I get some trees and I was just like, I remember thinking like, that's weird that he's not right on those cows. He just followed him for an, you know a mile and a half. And I start slipping towards him, and sure enough, he just bugles straight away. Like, he just happened to follow those cows for a mile and a half, and when I got to about probably 80 yards, he just starts bugling the other way. And I was between him and the cows. Like, all he had to do was go that way. I was like, God, you know, like, what are the chances? Uh, So, I mean, it was a little bittersweet. We had a really good time. Uh, I think... You know, Jeff got to experience all of it. He got to experience the terrible sitting, sitting water. He got to experience, you know, uh, the, the bugle fest a little bit, fest. even if it was kind of night. Yeah. Yeah. We called a bull into his face bugling. Um, it was a good time. Oh, that's yeah. sweet. So would you say like that, that experience in particular was just like a high quality experience, even though you didn't end up shooting something? Oh, for sure. You know, I think yeah. like. We, and Jeff and I talked about this quite a bit. Like he really got to see the difference between like 101 and 201. Mm-hmm. I think the effort level uh, is a big eye opener to a lot of people. We put on a hundred miles in nine days. Um, and that was with sitting water five to eight hours a day, you know, <laughs> like, like we, yeah. and that was like, I feel like we didn't really cover a lot of ground because at the end of the day, I was like trying not to burn water. Like, and I like couldn't go anywhere. I couldn't do anything. You know, there's no point in it because I couldn't bump out. It was so hot you can't move because you'll drink too much water. Uh, so I don't know. It was it was a fun hunt for sure. Uh, I I think if we had a few more days, it easily would have got done. Like I feel like the rut just started turning on when we left. 
Yeah. So when you snuck into that bowl, that that last experience you were just talking about, was that at the end of your hunt then? Yeah, uh, I think so. It was kind of, I think we had one more day. Okay. So that bull wasn't necessarily with those cows. He just was like walking by them. It wasn't one of those situations where no, you were trying he was to call him off his herd. Okay. He was with them. I don't honestly know exactly what happened. He bugled. When first time I heard him bugle, I could tell he had cows, just the t- his bugle. And then he bugled all night. I could hear cows there with him. I was 500 yards with, from him all night. I hear he had cows. I heard other bulls come in and leave, um, which tells me there wasn't a hot cow. I don't know. You know, maybe it's personal. I think he was just like super stoked to have cows. Um, maybe I still don't know exactly what happened in that situation, but I do think that like, obviously there wasn't a hot cow and he got sidetracked. Why he followed them for a mile and a half. I have no idea. You know, maybe he was just going that way too, or uh, who knows. Um, but that early season, you know, I think him getting excited and being around cows drew in a lot of elk and then that kind of rut, it, rut fest, it was a false rut fest where it's like he's screaming, other bulls come in and they're screaming, but then it's like there's no hot cow. So there's really no reason for all this going on is why bulls were leaving um, and why in the morning it was only him screaming still. Uh, and for whatever reason, you know, maybe he just went off and wallowed somewhere. Uh, and that's why maybe he came back to those cows that night. I'll never know. Um, but you have to, like, if there's not a hot cow, this is a great tip for people. Like if there's not a hot cow, a lot of times you won't get that rut fest. And I was trying to tell Jeff, like we were finding bulls bugling, but the best case scenario for like getting an opportunity to a good bull, I was stoked to find a herd where there was two or three bulls because like, there's going to be a lot of chaos and a lot of like a lot going on there and a lot of talking. I knew mm-hmm. I could slip in. It was pretty open country. So calling a bull off that was going to be tough or even calling a herd bull just to get him on that side of the cows or on your side of the cows would be tough but when there's two or three bulls talking to each other like that's game time i can slip in and they're occupying themselves to the point where i can get a shot um that would have been a great scenario but a lot of times if you don't have a hot cow you know it won't happen there won't be a bunch of cows now as we get later in the season they'll be tending the herds more. There'll be reasons for them to, to be there. A lot of elk around it. And usually that's what happens. If you have a hot cow, there's probably two or three satellites around hanging out, you know, waiting, trying to get whatever, trying to get into some action, trying to just get a piece of the pie. (laughs) I hear you. Oh, so when you talk about like making this game plan, uh, based on your open country versus like, what you might experience in Northwest Montana or Oregon. Uh, is it like you're going to slip in and probably do more cow calling or do you slip in and then challenge bugle? Um, what's the like game plan once you've got a bull found? Uh, well, I mean like New Mexico is very different. It's, it was pretty open, but then there was times we were hunting. It was pretty thick. So uh, to me, it's like, it's all dependent on how thick the terrain is. Like Wyoming is a good example. Like there's places in Wyoming where calling is going to work really well, even on a mature herd bull. Uh, you're not going to be able to spot stock. You're not going to be able to find elk unless you're bugling. Uh, but there's also areas where it's so open that calling is going to be null and void. Uh, the second that bull, we ended up slipping between this cows. That was really open country. And you know, there, there was, you weren't going to call cause it just wasn't going to happen. Um, and so yeah, that's where it's dependent. There's chunks of where we hunted though that absolutely, I mean, where the, the big bull was, like you couldn't glass that from anywhere. You really couldn't see, it was fairly open. 
But at the same time, it was it was close enough that you couldn't do anything without calling. You couldn't know where they were without calling. Do you think like later in the season, which is what we're kind of getting into, uh, later in the season that you have to just kind of like massage that situation even more because like you know if you're in that open country and you see a bull you slip in you could probably still get them worked up or something like if you're out of sight but then when they've got a herd that they're like locked on and you've got a herd bull that's like just stuck with those cows later in the year is that another situation where you basically just have to massage and get as close as you can and potentially not even call at all for sure. And so like, as like, we're, let's just dive into like the, my five, like five tips that I thought about that I think will help people for mid to late season. And what happens a lot, right. Is hunting pressure, hunting pressure happens. And in my experience, a lot of times that means that the cows are really spooky. The bulls are, the bulls are stupid. The bulls are stupid. If they're going crazy, it, it may not really matter. But if what happens is what's happened to me in the past is when you get cows that have been bumped and maybe they're just, they're done with it. They're not every time you cow call, like, man, they're peacing out. A lot of times though, mid season, like peak of the rut, even late rut, right? Though the bulls are still screaming, they're still talking, uh, they're still the hormones are flying. So they're still they're still calling. But if you get close with a call, the cows seem to bounce away. And I, I've had this happen multiple times where like I could not get close to a herd because the cows would just peace out. You know, they had been bumped enough. So, you know, like I think the number one tip for mid season or late mid to late season is, you know, if you can keep them talk, keep it a bull talking and have your buddy slip in. Uh, so a lot of times it'll work. You can call an elk or whatnot, but sometimes if you have elk that are, have been pressured or they don't want to deal with people say you and I go hunting, right? If I can keep a bull talking, it's pretty easy for you to slip in and make something happen. Uh, a lot of times in late September, early October, the bull is still bugling pretty much every time you can call at him. And if, if I can keep him giving you a location, that gives you the ability to slip in and try to make a shot happen. So you think that's probably the number one tip or tactic to like get in and is to try to run like a, it's almost like a slingshot, like with yeah, Ricky Bobby. Engage. Um, <laughs> I, w- I don't know if it's a number one tip, right? Like uh, unpressured elk, you find elk, like I'm going to still go out it the same way. I'm going to try to bugle. I'm going to try to slip in, but you know, I'm just trying to give you five tips maybe, or tips that, uh, when things aren't working, how to overcome that. So if I'm hunting Idaho and things have been hunted, pressure has been up, like here's something, here's a tool to put in your toolbox is the slingshot engaged. <laughs> so slingshot engaged is have your buddy keep that bull talking and, you know, the other hunting partner can slip in and try to make a shot happen. I don't know if it's my go-to, but it's definitely something to have in your back pocket. So when you work the elk and, you know, every time you get close, they bounce out or they, you know, take off, they go over the next ridge, but this bull is still talking a lot. Yeah. That's a great tip or a great tactic. Okay. Gotcha. Well, it's funny you say that cause, uh, Lampers and I tried to do basically getting in real close and have me bugle and then him slip in on the bull. And man, I don't know what the percentage is, but it just seemed like we had a couple times where the bull, you know, as soon as you tried to get that bull talking at midday, he wanted to take his cows and go the other direction. Do you think mm-hmm. that the bulls are like um, skittish of getting in fights like that later part of the season? They can for sure. I think that, uh, you know, bulls, they just don't want to mess with it anymore so they can 
run away. And I think that's where it's important to be farther away. Like if you bugle at a bull from across the canyon or, you know, 500 yards away, he may answer you a lot. But every time you try to get close, he shuts up, right? Uh, he maybe just doesn't want to fight. And a lot of times, you know, a herd bull's not – he knows he's not the biggest bull. Uh, maybe he's, you know, maybe he's not the king of the forest and he's like being cautious of that and doesn't want to have his harem taken away. Uh, who knows? And so I, and I think, so if you're going to do the slingshot engaged, I wouldn't try to be a hundred yards away and have your buddy sneaking in. I would be trying to be up high, far away, you know, where he's going to, wherever that bull is comfortable answering you, but not enough that he feels pressured. Oh, that's good. Yeah, because that's totally what was happening. As we were like, like I was thirty yards behind Lampers as he was trying to sneak in, basically. And Lampers, no, that's was not the at, slingshot. That's, that's not, not the, the slingshot. slingshot. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, okay, so uh, don't do that. I mean, you could that. do that. You could do that as if they're like interested in, in really, yeah, like challenging you. No, that's, you, that's but, trying to call a bull into you. Like that's, yeah. I mean, that's just using a calling partner. What the slingshot is when you like five hundred yards away on the next ridge. Uh, and you can locate bugle, like whatever's going to keep him talking. And, you know, you'll find a bull that sometimes like, man, he'll answer me every time, but every time I dip in there, he gets, he shuts up. Well, stop dipping in there, you know, put, put your buddy on the hill, keep him talking. And another thing you can do, uh, late season, sometimes these elk won't answer one, but say this is like the super slingshot. So super slingshot is when you and I get hundred to 200 yards away and we just bugle at each other. We're probably going to be 200 to 500 yards away from this elk, but we're going to bugle at each other until he starts answering. And then you're going to keep him talking and I'm going to go in there or vice versa. Ooh, the super slingshot. I like that. Well, and that's just kind of like, that's just kind of like playing off this idea that like maybe you saw this bull feeding out in the open and then they go into the timber, but you're just like, I know he's freaking there and he's not responding. Right. You kind of have to have that, that combination. How important do you think it is to like be running like, so, so you have like the cat road shuffle, which is like the, the the main tactic that I think a lot of people who are listening to podcasts or, or watch YouTube, like are in on right now. Right. Like it's just bugle, bugle, bugle. How important do you think is it to like be able to integrate like, spot and stock with glassing with the slingshot and the cat road shuffle <laughs> I, I mean i think it's all important it's like it's just tools in the toolbox man you just got to have a lot of pieces and i think you know the cat show the cat road shuffle works uh until it doesn't and sometimes you cover a lot of miles and you can't pick up cow or you can't pick up a bull that wants to bugle um or maybe you're running out of areas you know maybe there's so many people that you know you only have a couple areas and i was I was telling Jeff about this when we were hunting New Mexico. I was like, there's a difference between the back country and the front country. Like when we were packed in there and we had one bull, like I have to play it safe. And this is the, this is the catch 22 of the going back country, right? There was no one there, but there was one herd of elk. And if I screw it up, it's a long ways to the next herd. You know what I mean? Like, and so there's like, there's downsides to everything, but I think, you know, at the end of the day, it's having more, more tools in the toolbox. And kind of on that, like number two, uh, and maybe think of this before I forget. Uh, number two, I don't know if we're even going to keep track of these five, but I'm two, keeping track. Yeah, I'm, okay. I'm writing notes. Okay, so I'm going to say mixing cow calls into your locates. So what happens um, sometimes in the late season, uh, you'll get a bull that won't answer another bull, or maybe he's been bugled to too many times. Maybe you're just not that good of a bugler, uh, and you know you're not getting answers. Man, uh, a like open read 
cow call. I use the Phelps, you know, like sometimes bulls will just hammer that thing. Uh, and so that late season, if you can get like a hyper hot call or something like that and mix that into your locates, if you're not having any luck with your cat road shuffle and you can't find a bull to bugle to save your life, um, try throwing out a couple like hyper hot cow calls before you bugle and maybe he'll answer a cow call. I know a lot of times, uh, late season and it could be bulls that just don't have cows that'll answer you. A lot of times I'll be in an area and there's a herd of elk, but you have a bunch of satellite bulls and there could be good six point satellite bulls, right? They may not answer a locate bugle. They've heard them all the, all season and you throw out a hyper hot. It's like, they can't resist. They'll, they'll answer that. Um, and so like, I think mixing in some cow calls to your, to your locate sequence, uh, is, can be a good tip in the later season. Is that hyper hot sound? Is it like the whiny drawn out type cow yep. call? Yep. 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 Just loud drawn out, you know, long cow call. And I, I like an open read for this over my, like a uh, mouth read, uh, or, uh, yeah, an open read, like hand call, uh, for this. They're just a lot louder. They, I mean, they, they tend to draw a bugle to me more than using a read. That's good to know. Cause I bought one of those this year. Uh, I'm not a very good cow caller in the first place, but so, so this is a little bit, they're helpful there, but I didn't know that it would produce a different response. So uh, yeah. Dude, I've had, I mean, it's kind of like, I feel like it's the shot gobble of turkey hunting, you know, like sometimes <laughs> like that, that freaking turkey can't resist hitting it. Like you could, you know, hen cluck and everything and gobble and he won't answer, but you know, hit a predator call or a crow call and he answers. I feel like there's elk that are the same way. Like you hit that hyper hot and they just like instantly respond, uh, where they may have not responded before and they may not come in. They may not do anything. Uh, there's some guys that don't like to use cow calls when they're locating cause they don't want a bull coming. Uh, but I think late season I'll, I'll definitely mix it in late season. Just mm-hmm. like oh, trying to find a response. I need to find an elk. I might throw out a hyper hot. So that's tip number two. So the one thing to keep in mind, like, when we're looking at the hyper hot cow call early season versus mid and late in the early season, are you concerned? Well, concerned or need to be prepared for something to come into that versus in the later season, you're just trying to get a locate out of it. I mean, you're always, I would always be ready for that. Anytime you throw out a, uh, a cow call while you're locating or, or, you know, doing the cow road shuffle, like there's a chance a bull's going to come flying in. Uh, there's a bull, chance the bull's going to come in either way. I don't know if it's any different early season versus late. Mm-hmm. I've had them come running in, you know, first week of season and I throw a few cow calls. So sometimes I'll throw cow calls out just in case there's something really, really close. Uh, you know, throw a couple cow calls out. I usually do it less uh, in the early season and more in the late season. And, you know, throw a couple cow calls that way, something close. And then I'll throw out a hyper hunt just to see if I can get a response out of that. And if I throw out a hyper hunt and I get an answer, I usually won't bugle to him i'll just okay this bull likes cow calls let's go try to make something happen like there's no sense in complicating the situation and adding bugles do you think sometimes when you're at like working in those cow calls that if you were to then bring out a bugle that they'd be like oh fuck that there's a bull over there i'm not going to get my ass kicked again i mean they could it very well could like there's what's the point of going over there like or you know he's definitely gonna come in differently say it's a satellite bull and you know you get a little squeal bugle out of him and and now you throw a bugle out and he's probably like well now he's gonna come in cautiously because he maybe got his butt kicked already he doesn't want to get his butt kicked again so he's gonna come in poking around whereas if you just 
throw out a couple more cow calls, you know, he may come running and think, oh man, I found a group of cows with no bull on it. Gotcha. Oh, that's good stuff. I'll, I'll, yeah, that's good shit. (laughs) Okay. So tip number three is going to be hunt a midday. Um, and you've heard this a lot from a lot of people, but I think the mid to late season, I, you gotta be hunting all day. That 10 to two, there's a ton of elk like there. It's, it's the time, man. It's the rut. There's just a lot going on. So it's easy, easier, 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 uh, easier to get elk to respond to you in that 10 to two hour. And I would be covering ground. Um, and I would be, you know, throwing beagles out, doing the catwood shuffle, maybe throwing some high prots out, those type of things, like, but be hunting from 10 to two during this, let's say post 15th to September 30th. And even in October, there's a lot of bulls that have kind of like the, the pecking order has decided itself. Right. And so, but there's still probably cows running around that, you know, maybe peeled off this herd or that herd. So there's definitely elk out there that are still looking for cows. Like maybe they got kicked off their herd uh, and they're kind of cruising around. So I hundred percent, I think hunting 10 to two, so crucial looking for elk in those times um, in that second half of September. Do you think that changes when you're in like a more arid unit? Like let's say you're in, uh, New Mexico or like next week I'm going down, we've got a, uh, I'm going hunting with a commission tag winner. So he's got just like this epic, supposed to be epic unit. Right. But it's, it looks like the desert, it's desert unit for elk. And should he be hunting 10 to two as well? Or is it mostly just like the timbery units? No, I would, um, you know, even if you're glassing, right? Like, so I'm going to be hunting some open stuff in the next week and I'll be glassing. If I'm not doing anything else, like you could definitely see a bull if the weather's good. If the weather's going to be 90, like next week, it still could be mid 80s. You may not see much moving, but what's going to happen is you're going to see elk moving midday. You know, bulls are going to start cruising. And in even midday, if the weather's right and it's not holding them down, uh, you could definitely all of a sudden see, you know, elk cruising midday and pay attention to where they go because they're going to look for cows. And once you find those cows, you kind of know where the party's at and you can slip in there. So even on that open country hunt, absolutely. I mean, when you talk about open country, obviously the cat road shuffles fairly out of the question, right? Um, yeah. But, you know, you could see, definitely see a bull cruising. You're going to see, you're going to start seeing bulls cruise covering miles, uh, even midday. Um, but that kind of gets into like one of the other tips that I want to bring up. And, and this will translate better between the thicker timber and open country. But like, let's say, what are we on for? Uh, tip number four is going to be like tracks. Don't forget about tracks, 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 tracks. Uh, whether it's cow tracks, whether it's bull tracks, um, this is huge. So when you start looking, you know, late season and you start seeing bulls cruise, like that's where you can pick up some really, really big tracks. Uh, or if you just can't, the, another thing is like snow, if it's going to snow on you, pay attention, get to where you can see a lot of tracks or a lot of areas. So you can look at tracks. Uh, you know, there's going to be times in the next week or two where it randomly snows. Guess what? Get where you can see where that herd of elk is. Cause if you can see the entire mountain and you can be like, okay, up in that drainage, definitely a herd of elk or something because there's tracks all over up there that just gets you in the right location. And same with the open country, right? Like mm-hmm. we're getting this special ability to see the entire blanket of fresh tracks. Yeah, that was, well, I just, I, I really, uh, like that method and it like has been kind of planted in my mind since you had that conversation with, uh, um, Todd or, 
about cutting tracks, right? But like yep. the, yesterday, uh, we had maybe a, it was a little too much snow. It was like 12, 14, 16 inches and then snow drifts that were deeper uh, yeah. up in the mountains here. And But I was thinking in my mind like, well, at least we can glass up tracks. Um, when it snows though, do you think that sometimes that it will shut things down and, and, and elk will not move? So you kind of have to <laughs> give it some time. I don't know, man. Uh, I've, it's gone both ways for me. I used to think uh-huh. that like the snow would kick the rut on, but I have had it where it snows and it shuts things down, like no more bugling. Uh, so it goes either way. I, I wouldn't, I would never say either way. I've seen it go both. I've seen them bugle fast in the rut, uh, rut fast, whatever you want to call it in the snow. And I've seen it absolutely take a rut fast the night before snow and like, you would think that it was November because they'll hear just feeding, not thing people in. Uh, so who knows? I, th- I think it's a crapshoot. I honestly do. Mm-hmm. Um, with, with like weather, you know, coming in and it's going to depend, right? Like, so when it happens in Oregon, it doesn't snow a lot there. It's different than when it happens in Montana and it snows every September, you know, like it, maybe September bulls don't, or Montana bulls don't seem to mind. And I think it's because they're used to it. Like I think when it snows in, in uh, Oregon, in September, it's a rare thing. It's a weird shock, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, I I tend to, if, if I have snow coming, I tend to either worry that it's going to shut the rut down for a day or two. It'll, it'll be back, but it'll shut it down for a day or two. But number one, I'm like, okay, like where can I, what glassing point can I get on that I'm going to know the most about this country based on tracks? Like there's pros and cons, right? Yeah, I had a bull going and it was a rut fest the night before and it's going to snow tonight. That sucks because th- that's probably not going to happen. But where can I get to find a new herd or find out where they went or something like that? So I think there's pros and cons, man. Do you ever, like when you see a big storm system come through and you're like, or, or it's or you know it's coming, uh, do you ever like make sure to be out just because you don't know what direction it could push the rut? Like hey guys real quick interruption to tell you a little secret that i picked up and if you want to be a good elk hunter there's one thing that i've noticed that every great hunter i've ever interviewed does that almost every new elk hunter does not do and it's having a system and in my own quest to become a better hunter i set out to learn from all the best hunters out there and the one thing they all have is a system that took them years to develop If you want the blueprint that I've developed after hundreds of interviews, go check out the new Elk Hunt 201 course. It's a four-step system for being a more successful hunter. This is the fast track that took most of these guys 10 plus years to develop, and even myself. So go check it out, Elk Hunt 201. Links in the show notes. I hope you guys enjoy it. So far, people have loved it from new hunters to vets. I've had so many messages and seems to be uh, a big hit. So I hope you guys enjoy it. hope it adds value to your elk hunting career. One of my, the, one of my best days uh, ever elk hunting was right after that big storm in 2017 in Oregon. Yeah. And it was like that next day I was like, ah, I don't know where to go. There's too many bugles. Like, I don't know what yeah. to do. Uh, and it was one of those things where like now, because I had that one experience, like I took yesterday morning off of work because I was like, oh, it's the day after a storm. It could be like insane. Do you think that people should try to prioritize getting in after those, those storms? If yeah, they live close to you? I'd almost go the other way. Like if for me, like 
I don't know. I tend to not put much value in it. Uh, if it's going to snow, yeah. The only thing it's going to do is like in Montana, it tends to kick people out. Like people don't go hunting. So there's something to be said for that. Uh, I I like I like the ability to see tracks. So if I have somewhere that I'm going to go and see tracks, I don't put much thought into is the rut going to kick harder or less. You know, I, if anything, I've had more more experiences where it shut rut down for a day or two than I have where it kicked it on. But I've been in you know where it kicked it on. Uh, I, like I honestly, have, it's gone so many ways for me that I don't put much value in it. Other than the only thing I think about is like. Fresh storm equals tracks to me. Like I'll get yeah. to find something. Um, and I will choose where I hunt based on that. So if I, if I have a herd that I know about, uh, I am like, okay, this, I would probably go to a new area. I would probably go like, okay, let's, let's go see what I can find now. You know, maybe there's a, there was a big bull hanging on this area. Like let's go find, I'll be able to find where the cows are. Maybe I can cut some more tracks. Maybe I'll just run roads until I see a big track, you know, like mm-hmm. those type of things. I, I, I don't know that I'm, really think that's going to be like, Oh, it's going to be a rough fest tomorrow. Cause it's going to snow tonight. Gotcha. Well, that's, uh, when you were in New Mexico, did you guys ever like do drag around the like drag branches or whatever around that tank so that you knew what was coming and going? Uh, I did a little bit. There was like one trail coming in, but it was pretty easy to tell, uh, what was coming and going, uh, just a number of tracks. Like, you know, it's pretty easy to keep track. It wasn't a ton of elk, so it wasn't like, okay, I need to scrape. I did a couple times wipe them out just to see, um, but it wasn't wasn't the end of the world. Gotcha. That's what I'm going to try to have this this hunter do next week is like, he's like, it, he drew a cow tag. This is silly. This is a side, but um, he drew a cow tag in the unit next door that's like timbered unit because he's hunted there before and was like, well, I want to make sure I at least get an elk. And now he's like, archery hunting for cows while he has a commission tag hunt next door and i am just like oh my god no don't do that don't do that (laughs) uh i would spend every waking second looking for that big ball in that commission tag i know i was like and he was like well they're not bugling and i was like "Ah, dude i can tell you they kept me awake the last week like in the high country Uh, they're They're going anyway be looking for that big ball or at least looking for all the cows in the unit where you're going to find the big bull. Yeah. Is he rifle hunting it or? Uh, so he's archery. He's hunting, archery hunting it the whole month of September. And then I'm going to have to give him this freaking, this podcast here to listen to. <laughs> um, and he's getting no, a commission stag. Like, uh, I would be, I would, I would still be looking for a big bull right now. Uh, they should start. I mean, they are starting to, uh, dude, I've got videos of giants that are rutting right now. And I got videos from friends that are giants that are, you know, still cruising, hanging out by themselves. So it could go either way. Um, but hundred percent, like you could find a commissioner bull on cows right now. I promise you. Uh, and, and it's the 10th, just in case anyone else listens. Today, yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I mean, I would hundred percent, but I would want to know if I had a commissioner tag like in an area, I would want to, especially in open area, I would want to know where every single group of cows was, where the big groups of cows were, how many cows were in there, because those, you know, that's going to decide if they're going to get broken up. Uh, I want to know where they're going. I want to know everything about every herd of cows in that unit, because guess what? Big bulls are going to start coming. And if I can start looking in groups of cows, uh, say it's in the twenties, right? Uh, let's say 15 to 30, the, the biggest bulls are going to be with cows or at least hitting those cows or, or, or around those cows. And so I need to know where every group of cows is uh, right now so I can keep track of that. Gotcha. 
So I guess, and whether you, you're a commission tag winner or just like someone looking for biggest bulls, um, do you, do your tactics change in that late late season? Uh, you know what's going to happen? Uh, not not really. So what's going to happen? They get herded up, and they can be tough. Like a lot of guys say, you can't call big bulls when they're herded up. Um, I do believe you can, and it's a there's a day or two out of the month of September where you can. Yeah, those big bulls are smart. If it depends on if he has a hot cow or not hot cow. You know, a big bull. Elk are so personality dependent. A big bull may stick with a harem and he may stick with those cows and ride it out as long as he wants. Uh, he may just leave every night. Who knows? Like there's a lot of variances, right? Uh, a lot of times it's tough. Those big bulls are smart. If they got hot cows, it usually means they're defending them. He's not going to peel off to go assess a threat that he can't even see when he has three threats that are right in his face. Like if there's satellites around and he's, going from one end of the herd to the other, trying to keep the satellites away from his cows, he's not going 200 yards away from them to come into your bugle or cow call. It does not matter how many times you do it. Uh, so just food for thought. There's a lot of variations to that, though. If you can get close and he's in the thick stuff, you know, I tend to, if it's a if I'm looking for a commissioner's type bull, uh, the best bull in the area, I'm probably just going to try to get close to that herd and wait for my opportunity to materialize. I'm going to wait for him to come check cows, things like that. Uh, I think, you know, I'm a huge point of calling out, but at the end of the day, if, if he's cowed up, it can be tough. And if I don't want to bump him, you know, if this is the bull I want to kill, then I'm going to play it safe and let myself have multiple opportunities, not go in there and blow him out of the country. Okay. That's good to know. Okay. My last, my last tip is, and this like, it's is two. I'm gonna. It's kind of a two and one. That's like don't get late or don't get down, and don't get lazy. And those those tend to happen with each other, right? So when you start getting down, you're like, man, it's not gonna happen. You start making lazy decisions. And I'm not talking about hiking over the next ridge or whatever. Like you start half-assing how you call. You start half-assing your setups. You start half-assing those things. Um, and I think it's easy to do. I think we all do it, whether we admit or not. Uh, when we get tired, defeated, it's easy to think. Oh, you half-ass things. And so I I just want to push, like, stay with it. Like, it can all change in a half a second. You can go from the worst time of your life to the best time of your life. In literally seconds, it can change, right? Uh, and so not getting lazy on in the late season, I think, is a huge piece of it. Um, making sure you're doing the right setups. Make sure you're, you know, calling right. Uh, the setup is a lot. Not thinking, like, oh, this bull's not going to come in, so you kind of half-ass it, you know, or call before you get inside that, that red zone. So like making sure like, Oh, go all the way, commit everything and, and treat hunts. Like this is the one, like this is the bull. It's like another thing I could do. Say I hear a small bull. It's easy when I'm being lazy or late in a hunt to kind of half-ass. I'm like, well, it's just a small bull, you know, I'll bugle at him, but don't really care. It could be a giant. You never know. Um, and it's tricked me more than once. Do you have any tricks to making sure that you don't burn out early? Like I know um, a good example just is just try harder. See, South Cox, man, he he likes to hunt. Basically, he like sets up his camp, and then he hunts things that are closer to him to start, mm -hmm. and he takes it kind of easy, and then he hunts a little bit harder and a little bit harder. And by the end of the trip, he's hunting as hard that like. And by that, I mean he's covering more ground at the end of the trip than he did at the beginning of the trip. Do you think yeah. that? that is a good approach or would you just say just like you need to 
maybe buck up and, and send her harder. <laughs> no, dude, like we had this conversation in the New Mexico a lot. Like you can, you can think you're all bad, tough, and you're the toughest guy in the world. Uh, maybe I'm not as tough as you. I don't know. But I think at the end of the day, like morale is a real thing. Like whether you talk about the baddest NFL players, the baddest SOCOM operators, like everyone has burnout. It's a real thing. And I think being realistic about it is a good system. So taking a day off, like sometimes morale sucks and you got to go to the river and, you know, soak in the river for an afternoon uh, and get morale back. Like sometimes you should take an easy day and get after it. Maybe it's like just, I don't know, having something like seeing pictures of big bulls, like that gets me pumped. Like when other people start killing big bulls, I'm like, got to get out there. Like, so like I'll take a day or two off instead of like, let's just say the next 15 days, right? I could go probably get away with hunting the next 15 to 20 days, but I'm probably going to take a day or two off on a weekend, come back, hang out with the kids. And guess what? I'm going to look at pictures and dudes are going to like, see Instagram and all these like giant bulls and I am going to go get after it really hard. For me, that works really well. It's like scheduling a day or two off or something. Like I get that there's a lot of people that go on a seven to 10 day hunt. They travel to do it. That's not an option. Maybe the South Cox approach of like hunt everything close and you know, take it a little bit easy on the first couple of days because you don't want to burn yourself out when it's 90 degrees and nothing's talking. And then by the time they are talking, you're like, I don't know, I'll just go over here. Oh, you know, that's the getting lazier, half-assing it. Day 10 of the hunt, you're only hunting two miles a day or whatever. Like that's kind of getting lazy. Yeah. Oh, that's, that's good stuff. Do you think like, what are the major tips that people or major things that people don't do when they get lazy? Um, I know like when you're archery deer hunting, right? Like the number one thing that I, I screwed up was I was like, Oh, he's so close. I just want to get in there and kill him. I'm going to, I'm going to slip into his first bed instead of yeah. waiting him out. You know, like that's, that's the thing that I, yeah, that's a good example. Up. I, I think it, it is. Um, I think if you're bugling, say I was in Idaho on a stick country and I was bugling like, uh, I'll bugle too much early or bugle my way in or, or not drop into a Canyon, you know, like, I'll, I'll, I won't play it the right way. And so the right way would be like that bull just bugled. Let's not say a word. Let's drop into this Canyon and try to get as close as we can. We know where he's at. He should be there. Let's do it. Where the lazy version, maybe it's like, oh, let's see if he'll come. We can call him up or let's see if, <laughs> you know, like let's, let's just, let's just bugle for a while and, and see, check his temperature, you know, like those type of things. Uh, there's simple actions where, uh, another one, uh, maybe it's like, you just burn out and you're like, I don't know, like I'll just, I'll calc a little bit, but, um, you know, whatever, or not like covering ground. If you don't have a, if I don't have a, a bull to hunt the next day, I'm, I'm going to cover as many miles as I possibly can and try to find a bull that's talking where the lazy version of that, I may have another herd of elk. I'm like, well, let's just go in here in the morning and, and see if that elk's those, that, that herd of elk's still there. That's, that's, it's not like completely wrong, but to me, I know it's not the best version of what to do. Gotcha. So, um, uh, as, as season gets dragging on here, like it's actually not dragging on. It feels like it hasn't even started for me cause I've only been elk hunting one time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but of all of these, of all of these like five tips that you just gave, like what is the best not it's not the best tip but for someone hunting late season wyoming bulls in the wilderness where i probably will end up being 
Um, which one do you think is probably most important to pay attention to? The most important thing to keep in mind, I don't know if it's the most important tip and, and maybe mm-hmm. it is like the don't get down on yourself is keeping a positive mindset, man. Like you just have to believe that it's going to happen. Uh, at the end of the day, you have to know you're going to kill one. You have to have the confidence and be like, it's going to happen. And maybe that's telling yourself like, Hey, in, in one second, this could all be the best hunt of my life. Uh, at any given second, I don't know what it is, but keeping a positive mindset for you, whatever that is, is what's going to take whether, you know, it's enduring weather, uh, whether it's enduring weather, uh, like snow, you know, it's going to get nasty on us in in the late, later months, Mm -hmm. grinding it out, just having something that you can latch onto. That's going to keep you motivated, keep you positive. And maybe it's a good hunting partner. It's like, Hey, you know, don't be a baby. Like we're going to tough this out. Uh, or maybe it's like, you know, a lot of times for me, it's like just knowing that I gave it my all and, and that's enough. Be like, hey, in, in one month, you're going to wish you could have this back. Like you're going to have to wait 11 months to do this again. Uh, and for me, that's a that's a huge piece for me. Like I'll be like, man, this sucks right now. And I kind of want to go back or do something else. Like this isn't as fun as I remember. Uh, but I can sit down and be like, man, in one month from now, I'm going to beg to have this back. So enjoy it. Uh, I think it's just a positive mindset. Oh, that's good stuff. Well, it, it it's funny. I had like a moment, and again, like I'm just kind of drawing conclusion or drawing connections with what I just did deer hunting, because yeah. a lot of these I think are more mind. Like I always call you like the mind doctor because I think that <laughs> is the number one thing that crushes people, right? Like I went on this like two and a half mile stock, and it did uh, it didn't work out. And then I got back to the, <laughs> I got back to camp at like 3 p.m. or 3:30, and then I was just laying in the grass. I like wasn't even in my tent. I was just laying in the grass, like, well, I guess my hunt's over. And then I like was like, stop being a little wimp. Like I got up and started glassing, and sure enough, there was a buck like, you know, 600 yards away that was bedded down on the opposite side of where I was sitting. And yep. I was like, oh, another. It obviously didn't work out, but you know, like you never know when something can like turn around. It only takes one, man. It only takes one. And I, and I think, yeah, I think that's the best advice for late season is like, yeah, you've been grinding. It, it's been sucking. Uh, and you know, nothing's been going right, but all it takes is to go right one time. And it's the best time of your life. You know, like how do you know you're going to look over there, see a 350 bull, make one stock, everything goes perfectly and you kill it. And you're like, Oh my God, 2020 was the best season of my life. Yeah. So, so, uh, just as a perspective, like to put things into perspective for guys who feel like they might be having a shitty hunt. I know, uh, I I was texting one of my buddies, he's hunting in that same area. He hunted with me a couple days last year and he's going back to where I killed my bull. And I just like wanted to remind him like, dude, I got one bull to play every single day and I, and you hunt for 12 hours a day or whatever. Right. Like if, um, how often do you think like a good hunt are you getting into bulls? Dude, <laughs> I mean, like, I mean, you know, as well as anyone, anyway, it, it doesn't, there's no number. Like I could go five days and not see any elk. And then all of a sudden it's like, I get into, you know, elk everywhere one day. I, it's tough, man. And then and that changes everything. It, yeah. You know, like I used to think like, okay, if I get 10 good scenarios, uh, I'm going to have one shot, shot opportunity in that, but that can be a negative mindset i don't want that to discourage people like i haven't seen a single elk you know like you could see the first elk and kill it and if that keeps you motivated or rather have you thinking about that then 
you're only going to get a shot every 10 elk um, because then you're like, I haven't seen an elk in, in three days. All I see is people. Uh, I get discouraged. I, I'd rather have people thinking like, man, all it takes is one sh- one opportunity. It could all change in a half a second. Like I could look left and there could be a 330 bull standing there at 50 yards looking at me and I shoot him and it's over. And that was a cool, oh, well, look at what happened last year. Like I was yeah. freaking sleeping, dude. And I wake up and there's an elk right in front of me. Like, you don't think that that day when I took an apple, I was like, God, this sucks. Or, you know, uh, day's over. And the next thing I know, I'm waking up to a freaking bull screaming at my feet and I shoot him and I'm like, what just happened? Like that, it could all happen so fast. Um, but having that mindset throughout the rough parts of season is what's going to keep you going. It's going to put you in those situations where it does happen. In instant. If there's one thing that we know about your nap hunt, kill, bull, <laughs> it's that you bull. didn't, the nap bull, it's that you didn't close your eyes expecting to, <laughs> to, to have a bull screaming in your face, you know? Okay, here's another great example. It's like, I, Matthew should have learned this from the nap bull, but uh, Matthew was just telling me, he was in here yesterday, and uh, he was telling me, like, he set his bow down and, like, bumped some elk, and I don't, I still can't wrap my head around why he set his bow down, but bumped his elk and some, set his freaking bow, I, I get it, like, I napped and put my bow 15 yards away, so I can't really judge, but he set his bow down, walked over to the, like, CM, whatever, and... Two minutes later, this five point walks out at like 40 yards, just wondering what happened when all those elk spooked. And he's like, my bow is, you know, 20 yards away. Uh, stop, stop saying your bow down, people. Like, keep it with you. Be ready at all times. <laughs> That's a good point. Dude, I've been busted by Onyx like a couple times. And by busted by Onyx, I mean like I'm looking down at my phone thinking where, like, where do I want to go now? And then like I look up and one in particular, it was a blacktail buck was standing there staring at me at like 20 yards as I looked up from my phone. And I was like, son of a bitch. I didn't need my, I didn't need my map. I know where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. 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 Cool, funny. man. These are some good, good tips. Uh, so I'm, I just, let's just say we're super positive and I, you and I haven't even talked about this whole plan very much, but, um, let's just say you kill your 350 bull, uh, in the next week in Montana. And then you have the last week. And, and it's honestly like all of these tactics that we're talking about are kind of like perfect for that potential week that you were going to come down to, to Wyoming. Yeah. Um, Either way, whether you're here or not, I'm probably going to go hunt up hunt up there. What do you think the game plan should be for that last week? Ooh, that's a good question. Like, what if uh, we'll play like hypothetically? I'm coming with you. Um, I'm still. I've never been there, so I don't know if it's a glass thing. Um, best case scenario, we cut tracks, find elk, and sneak in and kill them. Uh, I I'm assuming you know they've all been messed with uh, a little bit by the last weekend let's just say we're hunting the last week in the season mm-hmm. uh, i'm assume elk have been messed with and that they're a little bit call shy because uh, it's not like it's uh you know some coveted tag that nobody else has been in there mm-hmm. by the last week in the season like i'm just assuming both bulls have been messed with but i'm also assuming like hey hopefully they're still going and i can bugle and get one in I'm either going to go with the slingshot engaged. We're going to do some slingshotting, uh, the super slingshot, if that doesn't work. Uh, and then maybe checking tracks and, and just trying to get close to herds. But also like that Wyoming tag, I, I told you, I was like, dude, I'm just going to go there and call. And the first bullet comes in and is getting smoked. Uh, so 
I, you know, cat road shuffling, man. Like we're hunting all day. Like let's go find an elk. And if he wants to play and he doesn't have cows with him, I'm probably going to try to call that bull in, which is very doable. Uh, if you know, he doesn't have cows and the cows haven't been messed with, he hasn't messed with, messed with. we could do some cat road shuffling, uh, midday looking for a satellite bowl and a couple sweet talks and, or maybe some rake in, I don't know. Yeah. Roll dice, see what happens. Yeah. Just use all the tools in the toolbox. Yeah, man. <clears throat> well, good news is I, uh, was talking to the guy at the bow shop and he told me, Oh, Hey, we're headed up this drainage. Uh, you know, cause you're just like, Hey, what are your, have you been out yet? He's like, no, I'm headed up this drainage this weekend though. And I was like, Oh shit. That's the one Cody and I were looking at. Um, <laughs> Perfect. And, and, uh, he was like, I'll tell you everything I find out. So we'll have some good beta hopefully. Yeah. You know, I think like you and I talked about, uh, that country, there is some open stuff. So I would just start working ridges. Like my, my game plan going into that hunt would be, jump on some ridges, work those ridges, glass call or glass or bugle, uh, depending if it's thick or thin and cover ground, cover ground, try to find elk. Like at the end of the day, you got to find elk before you can hunt them. Once find elk, uh, we'll just make a decision on whether we think it's a herd of elk or a satellite bull. And if it's a satellite bull, I'm probably gonna try to call them in. If it's a herd bull, I'm probably gonna try to sneak in and get a shot. Like that's very broad and there's a lot of variables there, but like, I think that's a good broad stroke of how i'm looking at that hunt nice man i think that's pretty good when this thing comes out that'll be um pretty sure about right right when that weekend's about to happen so hopefully i kill kill uh montana bull early and i'm like cool let's go down and uh what yeah uh, what week are we planning that that was like the that was like the 24th 25th 26th 27th something like that when's that season end the 30th for you okay I think I'm gonna like, I'm just gonna bomb down for a weekend hunt and like we'll go fast and, and just try to kill two elk. Like I'd be stoked if we killed two. Dude, it'd be and, that'd be such a blast. Oh man, <laughs> I, I think I, that kind of country I, is totally like there's enough elk and you can see enough that like it'd be doable. Yeah, and dude, I I am like I want to go to that hunt, not chasing a big bull because I don't want to go and like do a bunch of it. I just want to go call elk, and, like because I feel like I didn't get that hunt this year. Is Mm-hmm. Like, let's just go and call every elk that will talk to us and, and shoot every elk that comes in. It's like you go back to your 201 days. Dude, let's do it. All right. <laughs> <'Cause>, <laughs> and Kelsey, Kelsey was even like, she's like, so is there any chance since you have like six freaking elk hunts that you could just shoot like a spike on one of them this year? <laughs> I was like, sure. <laughs> I volunteer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, uh, shoot. I'm uh, looking right, forward man. to it, man. Well, good luck, um, and let's uh, hopefully the next couple of weeks goes really well. Good luck to everyone else, too. Yeah, good luck, everybody. I'm stoked. All right, guys. Thanks for tuning in to the Elk Hunt Podcast. If you love elk hunting content, tips and tactics, all that jazz, then go leave this podcast a review wherever you listen to podcasts at. Much.